Good morning. Open your Bibles to John 6, verses 16 through 21. John 6, verses 16 through 21, as we continue our series in the Gospel of John. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible word that we're about to read. So let's have our minds and hearts prepared as we read God's word. And it says this. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Have you ever been there before? When the water was clear, almost like glass, and you're ready to enjoy a nice cruise on the water on the ocean, and instantly the winds picked up, and before you knew it, it was a dangerous situation, a life-threatening situation. I must be honest with you this morning. I have not been there. I have not had the experience out at sea. I have never been caught in a windstorm like this. Especially my limited boat experiences. But I do have a friend. We have a member from this church who knows what it's like. What it feels like to be dealing with raging water. Water that has the power and the ability to take your life. This man's name is Andy Lee. He's a boat captain. And he's been a part of our church for about, I think, about three years, him and his family. And I just decided just to interview him and talk to him about his experiences, a, a situation that he dealt with like the disciples were dealing with in our passage here. And he mentioned one morning, he was about two miles or so offshore on a fishing charter, and he said it started out like any other fishing day. Actually, it was better because the the water, the weather was perfect. The ocean was calm. Everything seemed great. And in seconds, it started getting windy. And it continued to get worse as the sea went from glassy to a boiling cauldron. And Andy being on the water felt in total control. He wasn't panicked in the least about the ocean coming to life. He's been there on many occasions. But as the waves grew larger in size, out of nowhere, a rogue wave hit his boat. And instantly, Andy said, the boat filled up with water. One wave. And Andy said it became really serious. The reality of the boat sinking was a clear and present danger. And he said the boat was totally filled up. And if another wave would have hit the boat, it surely would have sunk. So he immediately got his hand pump and his electric pump and started emptying the water out as fast as he could. He said it was a scary moment. His adrenaline was pumping. This whole incident only was about 10 minutes though. But he said at that moment, he felt helpless. He felt vulnerable. He was doing everything in his power to empty the water. 
but ultimately said he knew in his heart that it was in God's hands at that moment. I mentioned to him, I really was considering to go out on one of his fishing excursions with him. But then after that story, I thought, man, I better get some more life insurance first. <laughs> but no, I'm just kidding. Andy is a, just a commercial fisherman, and his, his specialty actually is fly fishing, so it's really a neat, neat way to go out fishing. But in reality, Andy being out on the water daily means he will face Moments like that, he will face storms. He will face windstorms. He'll face all sorts of different storms. But he is prepared. He is ready. But even so, he is no match for a serious storm when the ocean comes to life. And similarly, we are in that same boat. Not actually literally in Andy's boat per se, but we're in that boat. We are living in a dangerous and an uncertain world every day. Think about it. Just hours earlier, the disciples were experiencing excitement, probably amazed at all the huge crowds that were gathered around Christ, right? It says feeding of the 5,000, but in reality, like Pastor Casey mentioned, it was probably more like 10 or 20,000 people. And then, they're in the dark, rowing as the winds are getting worse in the middle of a storm. But that's how life is, isn't it? That's really how life is, running smoothly, relaxing, dreaming about the future, what we're going to do, where we want to go, what, all the things that we're excited about, and instantly our world is turned upside down. Hey, we get the call that a loved one is severely hurt, so we rush to the hospital, hoping, praying that God will heal them, that God will work a miracle, and everything that we were thinking about Moments prior seemed to be really not that important, insignificant, so trivial, so unimportant as we see our loved one on the brink of death. This morning you may be dealing with trials, serious storms. You may be at this point full of fear. You may be lost. You may not be sure what to do or where to go. But let me assure you, let me assure you, there is hope. We can have confidence. We can know that we are in good hands regardless of the circumstances we face. Amen? And this leads to the title of the message, which says, Everything over our heads is under Christ's feet. Let me say that again. Everything over our heads is under Christ's feet. John's gospel continues to point out the fact that Christ is not like other men. He is not just another good teacher, nor is he a prophet, nor is he an earthly king. John reminds us time and time again that Christ is one with the Father, that he is deity, that he is God in the flesh. Amen? And everything that we face, which is over our heads, is under his feet. So as we begin, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you, we thank you for Christ. Forgive us. 
for not making our lives centered, focused, glorifying Christ every moment of our day. Thank you for your patience, your love for us, your grace that you continue to pour out on us. Help us to be disciples that are passionate, zealous for you. I ask that you be with all the churches in the world that are walking in your word to be zealous for making disciples instead of being focused on collecting people or entertaining people, but they're serious about making disciples of Jesus Christ. May we be more like that every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Our verses start out by saying this in John 6, 16 and 17. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. So the disciples get into the boat without Christ because verse 15, if we look back to it, tells us that Jesus left the large crowds and went up on a mountain to pray. The question is, did the disciples decide to go on the boat without Christ telling them to? Or did Christ encourage them to go out in the boat? Well, luckily we have other Gospels that have the same story, that have different details. And if we looked at Matthew 14, 22, it says this. Immediately, he, that is Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And then after he dismissed the crowds, we know he went up in the mountain to pray. So Christ does not suggest that they should get into the boat, nor does he encourage them, but we see here that Christ essentially commands them by force to get into the boat as he goes up to the mountain to pray. You may be thinking, okay, great, that's a great fact, Terry. I'm glad to know that. But what's the point? What's the point? Well, this is a significant point. It means that it was Christ who directed them to go into the storm in the first place. Christ could have had them wait till the storm passed. He could have had them go the next morning. But no, instead Christ directs them to get into the boat and face a brutal windstorm. Which leads to point number one. Christ leads us into the storms of life. Point number one says Christ leads us into the storms of life. That means often our hardships, our troubles, our struggles we face are either allowed by God or they are ordained and created by Him. Either way, Christ is involved in the storms that we face, period. Why don't you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 10.13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I'm going to have you turn there because I'm going to stay here for a minute. And this is Paul talking to the church at Corinth. And he says this. No temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. 
And this word here for temptation can also be translated as trial in the Greek. So it can be either word. So this verse can either be talking about dealing with a temptation or it can be talking about dealing with a trial. And you may be thinking, well, what's the difference? Well, a temptation would be something that we're tempted to sin with. So it's something that causes us maybe to want to sin, where a trial has nothing to do with sin. It's when something falls upon us and it has nothing to do with our sin. Does that make sense? So we could say it like this for this verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation or trial has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted or tried beyond your ability. But with the temptation or the trial, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So this verse is saying that every trial and every temptation that we face will not destroy us or overtake us or be too much for us to bear because God gives us trials that are specifically tailored to us as we trust in Him. Think about that for one moment. Everything that we face in life is fitted or tailored to us personally. That means everything we deal with as a Christian, which is in the form of a temptation or a trial, is first filtered through the loving hands of our sovereign Lord. Amen? God is sovereign over our troubles. He is not far and distant, but God who is working in the details of our lives. Christ knows us intimately. He knows the level of faith we have. He knows what our breaking points are. He knows how much we can handle. I wonder if we look at our troubles that way. If we realize that God has ordained the hardships we go through, do we recognize that God is in the middle of the struggles we face? Also, this is a side note, but I want us to make sure we're not getting confused. Because sometimes we cause our own suffering as well, our own hardships, as we sometimes choose to follow our own ways instead of God's word. I mention this because many times people want to blame God for their own sinful decisions and choices. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says he will not put, on us, put us in a position where we will have to sin, but he will make a way of escape so we can escape the troubles or the, the temptations that we are facing. God does put us in trials and he allows temptation, but he does not ever cause us to sin. That is when we give into the flesh instead of walking by the Spirit. We have to make that and understand that. But let's go back to our passage, because that's going off on a long rabbit trail here. But let's go back to our passage, because another important aspect is that the disciples obeyed Christ. And what was the outcome? What was the outcome for their obedience to Christ? Well, let's think about it here. They got into the boat, they were really tired and stressed because they've been, they, they've been ministering the people all day long, right? They listened to Christ. They listened to everything he said, right? 
And their life was miraculously changed on that boat, right? Everything got better. Rowing all of a sudden went from hard to the current was just taking them down the water. The moon was shining and they saw the pathway to where they were going. And then all of a sudden, you know what happened? Gold coins started flowing, dropping out of the sky into their boat. Is that in your translation? It's in mine. You know what else happened? They ended up trading their little fishing boat for a yacht, and then they retired on Marco Island. All this happened because they obeyed Christ. Is that what happened in the story? No, they obeyed Christ, and it says around 2 a.m. in the morning, they were caught in a severe windstorm. Matthew, Matthew tells us, if we would go to Matthew again, it tells us the waves were crashing. The sea was like boiling water. It was shaking and quaking, and the sea was alive, it says. And the disciples were rowing hard against the wind, probably wondering if they were going to make it, if their fishing boat would withstand the angry waters. The disciples listened to Christ, obeyed Christ, and their life got harder. It became more challenging, which leads to point number two. Obedience to Christ brings about troubled waters. Obedience to Christ brings about troubled waters. Following Christ is not a walk in the park, nor is it smooth sailing. We can ask the disciples about that. It's, it's not a problem-free life. There are many false teachers that espouse that following Christ means all our problems will just fade away. All our struggles will just subside. The people who teach this false gospel say that following Christ means you'll have more money. You'll get a nicer car. Following Christ means you will have the greatest marriage. Following Christ means your children will be perfect, which that means I'm in real trouble. And following Christ means your life becomes full of one happy moment after the next. But Scripture tells us the exact opposite. It tells us the exact opposite. John 16 tells us that in this world we will have troubles. Luke 12 tells us that living for Christ can cause division with our own family, where father may turn against daughter and son may turn against mother because they're following Christ. Jesus said, if the world hated me, it'll also hate you as well. Peter, writing to believers, says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. 1 Peter 1, 6. Acts 14 tells us that we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us to count the cost before we decide to follow him. It's not just believe in him, but are we willing to live for him? Are we really willing to follow him, to serve him, and possibly even one day have to die for him? That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. I wonder this morning if we recognize that living for Christ means that it'll have, cause us to have more struggles in our life. 
that walking with Christ means dying to this world and dying to our flesh daily. But you also may be wondering, why? Why is the Christian life so hard? I mean, isn't everything that, we, that we're living in part of God's creation? I mean, we live in Marco Island, right? Amen. Amen. Where it's vacation all the time, it's living in paradise, right? That's what we think. But I must say, I do love living in Marco Island. I love it here. But even in Marco Island, Scripture tells us we have three distinct enemies that want to hurt us, want to kill us, and destroy our faith in Christ Jesus. And these enemies are Satan, the world, and the flesh. And these enemies are alive and well, even in Marco Island in paradise. Scripture even says that Satan is the prince of this world. And he uses this world to tempt us, to distract us, to lure us away from God by getting us to worship the creation instead of the creator. And then we also have that flesh, the sinful nature. I think the King James, the New King James calls it the carnal nature that resides within us even as believers. So these three enemies work together. That's why we are so easily deceived, blinded, and tempted by Satan because we still have the flesh that lives within us working with Satan and the world. A.W. Tozer once said this, the idea that this world is a playground instead of a battleground has now been accepted and practiced by the vast majority of Christians. A.W. Tozer reveals that one of Satan's greatest deceptions is the belief that we are here to just enjoy, to just relax, to just have fun, to just find some pleasure and squeeze it out of the day and have fulfillment in this world. When we do that, we start obsessing over sports. Or we start obsessing over shopping. Or we start obsessing over entertainment. Or we start obsessing over careers. Or we start obsessing over our families. Or we start obsessing over our marriages. Because we are looking for fulfillment from this world instead of Christ. We become focused on this present world. We become worldly minded instead of Christ minded. We become focused on this present world. We become worldly minded all around us. Scripture calls this idolatry. When we start worshiping creation over the creator, we look to the things of this world as our fulfillment instead of recognizing that Christ is our hope, that Christ is our joy, that Christ is our life. Our fulfillment alone comes from Christ. So we learn that this world is not a playground, but a battleground. Like the Sea of Galilee, which is uncertain and dangerous, so it is similar in this life, which can be calm and tranquil and instantly become tumultuous and dangerous. John six 18, let's go back to our main passage. John six eighteen. says this, the sea became rough 
because a strong wind was blowing. Kent Hughes says this, there were the disciples battling the gale, wondering if if they would make it to shore. The storms was raging, the waves were immense, the spray kept dashing over the ship. The disciples probably wondered, has the Lord forgotten about us? Well, we're really not sure what the disciples were thinking. It could have been possible what Kent Hughes says, mentions that they felt alone, wondering if Christ had abandoned them as the seas raged on. I mean, think about it for a minute. Think about this. They listened to Christ, and now they are in a mess. And Christ is nowhere to be found as they're in the middle of this dark body of water. I wonder if we sometimes think Christ has abandoned us. Maybe we have one storm after the next and we wonder, where is Christ in all this? Where is he? Maybe we are living paycheck to paycheck and we can't seem to get ahead. Or maybe our marriage is in a dismal place where we've lost all hope. Or maybe we have loved ones who's battling cancer or some other type of disease. Or maybe we have a wayward grown child who continues to rebel against God. Or maybe we're retired and we feel like our life is pointless. And we're struggling with loneliness and fear on a daily basis. The storms continue to rage on. We may feel like we are paddling against the wind, making no progress. We ask, we pray, we beg for help, but it seems nothing is happening in our life. We feel like we are about to drown. This is the end. We can't handle anymore. But luckily, there's a verse 19 and 20. In this passage, right? Because it says this, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said, it is I. Do not be afraid. Christ was there in their struggle. When they were tired, when they were at the end of their rope, Christ knew how much they could handle. Christ had not abandoned them, which leads to point number three which says Christ is both present and working in the storms we face. Christ is both present and working in the storms we face. We can have hope, we can have confidence because Christ is in the middle of our battles, in the middle of our storms that we face. Christ walks on water and meets the the distressed disciples. And Christ today walks on water in our storms and meets broken and weak and struggling people like us as well. Amen? We see that Christ defies the law of nature by walking on water. And yet there are many times that we doubt if Christ can help us, if he can make a difference in the present situation that we're facing. I think we would all, including myself, do ourselves well to spend some time in the Gospel of John and just meditate on who Christ is. Saturate ourselves in the fact that Christ is God, recognizing that our problems aren't too big for Him, that our sin is not even too bad for Him. Christ is greater than what we think. He is greater than what we can fathom with our infinite minds, the Scripture tells us. That should give us much hope recognizing that Christ is so magnificent that we can't even wrap our minds around him. Romans 8, 28 and 29 
says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of God. Paul makes it crystal clear that Christ will work out all things for the good if we love Christ. Again, this shows that Christ is active in every detail of our lives. What does all things include? All things include the blessings. That means our trials. That means our storms. That means our troubled times. Scripture says God will use it all. He will use our mundane moments. Christ will use our failures, our times of pain and suffering. Christ is using everything in our life for our good and His glory. So let's get back to our story What was the conclusion of our story with the disciples being stuck in a windstorm? Oh, we remember that Jesus meets the disciples in the storm. And verse 21 says this. Then they were glad to take him in. And they would be the disciples. So then they, the disciples, were glad to take him, that is Jesus, into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land which they were going results like that we like the good guy winning and everything working out the way it should be we may even try to use stories like this to our own advantage think about it some of us including myself may think this the disciples followed christ and he got them to their destination a lot quicker christ got into the boat and it says immediately the boat got to shore right So if I can trust Christ, then we can get through the storm all the faster, right? It won't have to drag on so long, all the clouds and all the storms and the rain and the lightning and all that stuff. We'll just sort of fast forward through that, right? This is sort of like when I tell my two-year-old Silas to take a nap. He lays down and closes his eyes for a second. And then he opens his eyes and says, Daddy, I took my nap. I'm ready to get up and play again with Lukey. He does not realize that the nap is for his own good. Isn't that how we think about our problems? We're often motivated to obey God so he will change our bad circumstances as fast as possible. We become like my son as we miss the whole point of the storm. The storm comes for our own good, to sharpen us, to break us, to remind us that we are in need of help and change regardless of how mature we think we are, which leads to point number four. Christ changes us through the storms. Christ changes us through the storms. The storms. The storms of life are allowed or ordained for our benefit to change us, to mature us. We must get everything out of the storms that God intends for us to get. Instead of trying to avoid them or just get through them, we want to grow in Christ in them. We should ask ourselves some questions as we're in the middle of the storms. Mike, what is God trying to teach me? Through this circumstance I'm in. 
How am I learning to love, learning to serve, learning to be more patient, be more kind, grow in humility in the storm that I'm in? What are ways I'm trying to glorify God in the trials that I'm facing today? These storms of life are attendant for that very purpose, to cause our faith to be strengthened, to let us see more of Christ, to hold on to Him a little tighter, to grow in awe of who Christ is. Amen? Romans 5, 3-5 says this, We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Amen? Paul says the storms we face are deepening our faith. It changes us from the inside hope out. The hope begins to flourish in us. Regardless of the circumstances, how bad the circumstances are. And ultimately, Paul says, God's love is poured out into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. God's love leads us to live for others instead of ourselves. Amen? We become merciful towards others in a way that we really love them. In a way that we love our own immediate families when we go through this. Our view of God begins to grow and we become more in awe of His grace. The storms of life God uses to sharpen us, to mold us, to transform us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. Donald Grayhouse said this, Our tears become crystal lenses through which Christ is magnified. And in the midst of suffering, we realize the greatness of his power and the tenderness of his love. Let me read that one more time. Our tears become crystal lenses through which Christ is magnified. And in the midst of suffering, we realize the greatness of his power and the tenderness of his love. This morning, I I wonder if we see our trials, our storms, as opportunities. Opportunities to be shaped by God. Opportunities to be matured in Christ. Storms, trials, struggles, hardships have a purpose. And usually we are at the center of that purpose. We are, church, a work in progress. And I will tell you confidently, we all need a still a lot of work. That needs to be done inside of all of us. In conclusion, some of us are in the middle of a storm this morning. The question is, are we depending on Christ? Are we holding on to him through the storms that we're in this morning? We can be confident that the storms will continue to roll in. And the question is, will we be ready? Will we be ready to live for Christ, to glorify Him, honor Christ, love Christ, praise Christ in the midst of that storm? Because the storms you and I will face today and tomorrow will be over our heads. But we can be assured that they're under Christ's feet. Christ is God and there is none 
like him. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we praise you. We are in awe of your word as it just, we can dive so deep in it and still continue to get more from it, Father. But ultimately help us not just to gain knowledge or gain new facts, but to be in awe of who you are through it, to be more in awe of Christ, to love you more, to be more zealous for you, and recognize who we really are and how insignificant we really are in the midst of how holy, how just sovereign you are. But at the same time, because we're insignificant, you still love us deeply, and you are involved in the details of our lives that you make us significant by the power of your Spirit as you change us from the inside out. We thank you for that. Help us to be humble, loving, grace-filled people. Thank you for Christ. In him we pray. Amen.